And good morning. <coughs> Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. Almost a year ago, we were reading and studying that God created man in his image, and in his likeness, he created both male and female. And in that purity, they are to be fruitful and to multiply. They walked and talked with God in the garden. That there was no barrier, no chasm between heaven and earth. But that in their rebellion, and that Adam chose to go after his own wisdom, his own knowledge, make his own decisions, that now sin has fully corrupted creation. And that sin, as a result, would put him to death. And for us, it says in Romans 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Sin is that hereditary curse passed down generation to generation through Adam. We are now not listening to the voice of God, but our sinful nature rules us. We live to please our flesh. And in here in Genesis, we've been studying about that covenant that God has made with mankind that he is set to redeem us, to save us from that very curse, that sin that leads to death. And to do so requires uh, a righteous people, for he cannot bind himself to those who are wicked. And he chose for himself out of all of the nations and out of all the peoples, this man named Abram, who he would name Abraham. A man through whom he was going to bless all of the nations of the world. This covenant that he made with him was this promise and it was sealed by this ceremony that he was Abraham's God. And that Abraham was, that now he belonged to God. And they were bound together for all of eternity. But covenants come with a sign. Because covenants are this, almost this invisible agreement. It's, it's based on promises, it's based on word and so, like a, like a marriage vow, it would be sealed with the ring. Now, just wearing a ring on that finger doesn't make you married. <laughs> but after the covenant has been made, it is uh, a sign for all others that a person is married by wearing the ring. God gave a sign to Noah after he made a covenant with him. said, I'm never going to destroy the world again with water. And he gave a sign after the covenant. And, and he sealed it with this rainbow. In the Mosaic covenant, those ten commandments, God gave them this law. They made a covenant with them, bound himself to the nation of Israel. And he said, for a sign for you is going to be the Sabbath day. And now for the new covenant people, us... A covenant that God has made with his church. He has given us this sign of baptism. So as we look into this covenant with Abraham, he's going to give him a sign. A sign that is kind of that visible reminder of the invisible agreement. That invisible relationship. 
It's a, a sign that some have found confusing. Many have mis misunderstood. God's going to tell Abraham and every male who is with him, who desires to live under that blessed covenant, that blessing of the Lord God, that they will be circumcised. And so today, I want to give three reasons why. Three reasons why circumcision would be a sign, a good sign, for that covenant between God and Abraham. If you follow along with me, I'm going to read 14 verses, starting in verse 1 of chapter 17. It says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep. Between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Let us pray. Our Father, what a great blessing it is to be able to gather here. To come together to worship you. But Lord, it is even a greater blessing to know that you speak to us. That this worship service is a conversation. To hear the words of the Almighty God. So Lord, will you help us as we are easily a distracted people. So our, our minds are so prone to wander, God. Our ears unable to hear. Our hearts unable to receive. So by the power that is in you, will you make us ready to hear. That we will not just gain knowledge, but wisdom. That we will grow in faith. 
And ultimately, Lord, I, I pray that each here will believe in the name of the Son of God, the one who is given to us for re- redemption, eternal salvation, that we will be your people and you intimately are our God who loves and cares for us like a father, who rules us like a good king and keeps us like a shelter. In Jesus' name, amen. This is part two of a a, a sermon called Covenant Life with God. If you missed uh, the last one, it is on the website. I recommend listening to it. It makes more sense if you listen both of them together. Uh, But this is the second part of living a covenant life with God. We saw that in a covenant with God, our faithfulness before God, and we find that directly found in Christ. We find our purpose uh, changes, that we become a people of world missions, uh, because God is about all the nations coming to know him. And lastly, about a people who take on the sign of the covenant. And so that's what we're looking at today. What does this covenant sign mean? Why, why was this, what could be strange in our first reading, why is this so important and what does it even mean to us? We find that Abraham is the father of a multitude of nations. We saw at the beginning of the chapter, we're updated. He's 99 years old now. Been living in the, uh, the, the, the land for some time. He's heard about this promise for, for years And he is still without a child with his wife, Sarah. He has another boy because he's tried it on his own. (laughs) He's tried to figure things out on his own. And that became a disaster. So here he is, 99 years old. He's looking forward to being the father of a multitude of nations. And yet he's childless. That's where we are. He's already declared righteous. He's already God's man. He's already, uh, God is his, all right? All of that's already done. Now, God says, we're going to exchange the sign, the sign of the covenant. This This account is reminding time and again that if anybody is to be in a covenant with God, they first need to be righteous as God is righteous, okay? We cannot be in a covenant with God and still sin ruling our hearts, we cannot be a people of darkness and have fellowship with a God of light. It doesn't work. God will not allow it. He cannot do that. He cannot dwell with wickedness, he says in Psalm 5. So sin needs to be removed first. To be in a covenant with God, and that is required, right? We're, we're talking about a covenant with God means salvation. That means those who are going to be in the kingdom of God with him forever are those in the covenant. So it's very important that we know what it means to be in a covenant with God. To be in a covenant with God requires our sin to be removed. We have to be forgiven in order to be in a relationship with God. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, among whom we all once lived. Paul's talking about how we were before we were in Christ. We once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I want to take close note of the flesh there. 
Right? That's really what we're going to be looking at for a moment here because the first reason I think circumcision was used as the sign of the Abrahamic covenant was that we need to be remembered that our sinful flesh needs to be removed. It needs to be cut off. Okay, The physical act of circumcision was only to point to a spiritual purpose. All right? The physical act really uh, had no purpose outside of pointing us to a spiritual truth. That we are sinful. That the Bible often refers to our sinfulness as our flesh. And that needs to be removed in order to be with God. Righteousness is given as a gift, right? We saw that with, with Abraham, that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. You can see that in chapter 15, verse 6. He's already been declared righteous. All right, so he is a righteous man. So first comes the righteousness and then comes the sign of the covenant. And it's pointing to that great moment when God declared Abraham righteous. May we not undermine that amazing truth that God can take such sinful people as us and not just sweep our sins under the rug to call us righteous, but take care of our sin so that we really are as righteous as he is, standing in the righteousness of Jesus before the Father. It says, um, I'll get to Romans chapter 4 in a moment. But we need, to, we need to understand this, because this is important too. These, this is something that uh, uh, you know, Christians and, ch and churches throughout all of church history have really kind of messed up sometimes. We need to receive righteousness first, and then the sign of the covenant comes. All right, That's how Abraham worked. All right, He believed God, it was credited him righteous, and then years later, just to show uh, that the sign comes after. The sign comes after. Look at Romans chapter 4, talking about uh, Abraham. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. All right? Blessed is the one who's forgiven. Amen to that, right? Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, meaning the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised, all the rest of the nations out there? For they say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? How did he become righteous? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So it's putting things in the proper order for us. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also who, who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. You see the order that Paul is making very clear. Because people were putting the sign of the covenant as far more important than it was. They were making the sign of the covenant a requirement to actually be in a covenant with God. What we might say is that we're receiving the sign of the covenant to be saved, right? And he said, that's not how it works. God saves you strictly by your faith 
that you believe him. He credits you with his own righteousness. And then you'll go and you'll put on the wedding ring, right? Afterwards. That's why I said, you, I mean, someone can come in and they can put on a ring on that finger and say, I'm saved. But if they're not, that ring doesn't make them saved. You've got to be in the promises. And you've got to have faith in the covenant of the Lord. So circumcision was known in the Old Testament, and it was known as a spiritual truth. Now, remember, God didn't just make up circumcision at this time. It was practiced by other people, all right? Uh, it, it was something that Egyptians knew. It was something that other people knew. God is now taking that known uh, act and giving it deep spiritual meaning, all right? He, so it's, it's pointing to a spiritual truth. And Jeremiah, the prophet, was, knew what it meant. So we don't want to think that, um, you know, they were, they were unaware of what circumcision was all about back then, especially in regards to the Abrahamic covenant. They did know, because look what he says. And he's casting down condemnation on God's people because they are breaking the covenant. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. So that shows us right there, circumcision meant nothing if you didn't have faith. It meant nothing. He says, you're taking on the sign that you're actually in the covenant of God, but you're not. Okay? Egypt, Judah, that's the people of God right there. Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel, here, here's the key, are uncircumcised in heart. That's the key. That this physical act of circumcision was strictly to show us that we have sinful flesh in our heart, that we love sin, that we uh, naturally rebel against God, that we naturally go after the passions that are in us, these sinful things that uh, cause us separation by God. And he says that actually needs cut off. <laughs> like That flesh needs cut off. So the physical act of circumcision was pointing to this spiritual need in all of us. And he says, you guys are coming in and you're taking on the, the covenant sign, but you have never repented of your sin. You have never believed God. And he says, that circumcised flesh that you think means something doesn't. And you're going to die in your sin because your hearts are still wicked against me. I, I, and this verse is talking about a circumcised heart. And uh, it sounds like a strange term. I love the definition that Pastor Tim Keller gave to it. What is a circumcised heart? And I thought this definition was so simple, and it's so easy to remember, and I think it's, it's perfectly right. He says, when what you ought to do and what you want to do are the same thing. When what you ought to do and what you want to do are the same thing. What we ought to do, of course, is live in the righteousness of God. That's what we ought to do. But let's admit, a lot of times that's not what we want to do. That's sin. And so he says a circumcised heart is the person where what we ought to do, the righteousness of God and what we desire, start to become the same. He says that's the goal of covenant. That is the goal of covenant, that we will live as the people of God, not 
under bondage, not like, oh, I got to obey God today. <laughs> but it's a joy that we obey God because we love his law. We love his word because we love him. All right, that is a circumcised heart. I think that's the first thing we need to note. The sign of circumcision was given to the people under Abraham because we need to be reminded that our sinful flesh needs to be removed. But that process, even just thinking about the physical act of circumcision, it's painful and it's bloody. It's painful and it's bloody. This gives us the spiritual understanding that for sin to be put to death, it was going to require a painful, bloody experience. A real painful and bloody experience. Remember when God uh, sealed that covenant with Abraham? Remember what they did? They cut those animals in half. Let's not pretend like that was a clean experience. I mean, you've gutted animals, right? <laughs> it's, it's messy. There's blood and, you know, the entrails and everything. I mean, it was not fun for that goat, <laughs> to say that, but it, but it was necessary. When we, when we talk about making a covenant, remember, it was called cutting a covenant. That's what the Hebrew says, that when two people make a covenant together, it was cutting a covenant because it required cutting those animals in half and walking between them and saying, may it be to me like this, if I break the covenant with you. Look at the very end of our passage today, verse 14. See the warning for those who break the covenant of God? You will be cut off. You will be cut off. And so we look at these animals that are ripped apart to make a covenant and it, it, it tells us right there, and this is a truth that must just... Smack us across the face. <laughs> that should have been me. That should have been me. Because I'm a covenant breaker. God has set his righteousness as the standard to be with him forever. And I'm not. I've loved sin. I've pursued sin. I've chosen sin rather than God. And that goat that was ripped in half for me to, to be in a covenant. You know, and then, of course, we're thinking forward even to the Passover lamb, Jesus the Christ, who was broken and bloody for me. That should have been me. I broke the covenant. I should be cut off from God forever and ever. This is the bloodiness and the painfulness of covenant because that is how dreadful sin is. That's how dreadful sin is. The result of it causes great pain and suffering and torment and blood. So Jesus was born into humanity. Jesus, the God here, speaking to Abraham, was born into humanity. He, was, he took on flesh and blood to be a sin bearer and to suffer on the cross. So when we think about the punishment and we think about the circumcision, we can even say this. God was telling Abraham, either the flesh of your foreskin gets cut off or I cut all of you off from me. That's the deal. You either take on the sign of the covenant or you're not mine. You're not with me. And you will be cast into utter darkness forever and ever. 
That's the beauty of the cross. It's, it's ugly, but spiritually it's beautiful. I mean, look at Colossians chapter 2. Paul uses this same sort of language to show us the beauty of the cross. For in him, that's Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay, folks, we got to believe that Jesus is fully God and fully human. I mean, or, or this is wrong. And you, Christian, have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised. Wait a minute. We're talking about faith and being saved in Christ. <laughs> you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. We're not talking physical anymore. By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So we're, are we talking about when Jesus was dedicated to the temple and eight days old and you know, they, they circumcised him as a baby? Is that the circumcision of Christ? That, that wouldn't make any sense. The circumcision of Christ here is that picture we've been given throughout all of the Bible. This is the cross. This is when sinful flesh was destroyed, cut off completely. He became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's the circumcision of Christ. And for those who believe in Jesus, they are filled into Jesus, who is your circumcision, where your heart, where you're given a new heart, and you're given new desires and new purpose. Your sin is removed, that flesh is cut off, and you are declared innocent before God. And you have been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, all that sin, this he set aside, not sweeping under a carpet, but nailing it to a cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I hope that makes more sense now. The cross was agony for our Savior. The deepest of suffering. I was just talking to Danielle today I mean, Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That's like the most basic Christian thing we know. <laughs> but the more I study it, the more I don't understand it. What happened? When Jesus hung on that cross and the land went dark, what happened? Thank God we don't have to know. <laughs> Thank God that there's a, a, a way for each of us to never experience that. Because it's waiting for those who are unrepentant that is the end for those who are uncircumcised of heart, who what they ought to do and what they want to do are completely different things. That he would suffer, yes, physically, he would suffer so greatly in his heart, grieved and broken in that darkness. And on the cross, he was punished, becoming the curse. What was the curse? The punishment of breaking a covenant. That's what the curse was. He was cut off, as Daniel would say, for us. Almighty God, creator God, 
enduring such cruelty for us. That by faith we could enter into Jesus spiritually, gain his righteousness through what Colossians says, through his circumcision of the cross, which was his death and resurrection that forever killed sin, cut it off, threw it into the eternal pit, right? That we now read things like this. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood. Why? Because ratifying a covenant is bloody. It's messy. It's painful. But that blood of the new covenant, which we are going to celebrate in just a few minutes, which is poured out for many, for you and for me. Why? Because we need our sins forgiven. And it's the only way. It's the only way. The blood of Jesus ratified the new covenant. But I think there's still one more reason. We are sinfully full. Our flesh rebels against God and it needs to be cut off. And that cutting off of sin is painful. It's bloody, it's messy, and all of that is seen for us in this act of circumcision. But I still think there's one more reason. Because let's be honest, we could cut off any part of our flesh and it would be messy and bloody, right? Why there? Why there? Because the covenant of Abraham had to do with offspring. It had to do with offspring. I am going to make you a father of many nations. And to remind you of this, it's going to involve the male reproductive organ. Because you, it's all about being fruitful and multiplying. Remember the Garden of Eden? That's all about being fruitful and multiplying. That's the purpose of humanity, to be in the image of God and to care for the earth and to be fruitful and multiply. And to remind you of that... I'm giving you circumcision as a sign to remind you, Abraham, in those nights when you're doubting about, am I really going to have a son? I'm going to give you this sign. You're going to have a son. And from that son is going to come this bountiful nation of people. People made up of every color and every language and every uh, you know, people group. It's going to be wonderful. And it's going to come from your body, Abraham. And you need to know that. You need to understand that. You need to get that. I will make you the father of many nations, exceedingly fruitful. I'm going to establish myself, my covenant with your offspring, right? He says that in there. I read it. Generation after generation. The sign of circumcision was a constant reminder that God had promised offspring who we know from last week's sermon is fulfilled in Jesus. The circumcision was a reminder that Jesus was coming. He's coming. The Savior will be born into the world. As Isaiah would say, a child will be born to you. A son will be given to you. And the light is going to invade the darkness. And darkness cannot overcome him. That's what the reminder was. 
the Lord God was sending a redeemer. Remember that this whole thing is all about the covenant of redemption. That's what it's about. That God is sending a savior into the world to pay the price for sin. And we're so easily forgetful and so easily distracted and so easily led astray that God says, I'm going to give you something that you can't ignore. <laughs> Circumcise the males of your tribe and tell them a Savior is coming. A Redeemer is coming. This offspring of Eve, the son of Abraham and Sarah, the son of Judah, the son of David. Sin has corrupted us completely and sentenced us to death. Sin would only be defeated by the shedding of blood. And that defeat would be at the hands of a man named Jesus, who we know is the promised offspring of Abraham. The immediate, of course, uh, fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant would be the son Isaac. But it's not about Isaac, is it? It's about the Christ who's on his way. So it kind of leaves us with this question. Does physical circumcision mean anything for us today? Does it mean anything? And we have this quote from Paul. It says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. You see, the, the people of Galatia were, were not content with just living by faith. For them, it made more sense to go back under the law of Moses and go, I'm going to be saved by the law. That's how my fathers did it. That's how his fathers did it. And it just makes more sense to me. I can tangibly see myself doing things. And, and you know, a lot of people think, you know, faith through the grace of God is foolishness. And, and Paul is like, don't do that. <laughs> don't go back under the burden of the law. So he says, don't take circumcision thinking it's saving you. Christ is no advantage if you're doing that. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. If you're going to put yourself under a part of it, you better put yourself under all of it. And you better keep all of it or you're condemned under it. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by... I don't think he used that word just... I think he used that word on purpose. <laughs> you want to take circumcision upon yourself? Know that you're severed, cut off from Christ if you're depending on that. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. I'm getting to the point here. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, why not? Something we have to wrestle with. Why not? Why does this sign of a, under the Abrahamic covenant mean nothing to us today? And I would say because of that third point, it was looking forward to a Savior. For the church, the Savior has already come. We're no longer looking for an offspring. We're no longer looking and waiting for a baby to be born. Every Christmas we get to celebrate it, but we're not looking for him. We're not waiting for it. So it doesn't mean anything that way. The, the church, especially under Paul's writings, is all about now, it's all about the circumcision of your heart. And God does that. His hands does that. 
It's a surgery only he can do, and he does it through your faith. That's what it's all about. That's what it's always been all about. So because we're no longer looking for a baby, we don't need it anymore. We have a new sign because the baby has come. The man has arrived, and he died, and he rose again. And so the sign I'm going to give you now is to walk in that, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So let's look at three things this means to us. Three applications. First, Christians will hate sin as God hates sin. And I'm afraid we don't. I'm afraid we don't. But it should become more and more every day. That we don't celebrate sin anymore. That yeah, I, I, I still sin at times, but it doesn't excite me anymore. It doesn't fulfill me. It's not something I brag about. I hate it. And though I might like it in the moment, it grieves me later. That's the sign that you're a Christian. You don't, you don't, you don't boast about your sin anymore. You're not you know, trying to spread it, as Romans chapter uh, 1 says, that they were promoting it. We don't promote sin anymore. We understand how destructive it is. We understand how it separated us from God. And so as we grow in our Christian walk, more and more we despise the flesh. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. It's a very strong verb. A very strong verb. And hold fast to what is good. 1 John says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. Very much that covenant language there. And he cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. So we're not going to keep sinning and, and, and without batting an eye. That doesn't represent us anymore. That's not who we are anymore. We have been made in the righteousness of God. And that becomes more and more of who we are as we live through this life. So if we see anything from Genesis chapter 17 is the, the despising of the flesh. The person I used to be. The things I used to think. The things I used to do. You know, they start to hate the things I used to love. I start to love the things I maybe didn't even know about. Secondly, the daily crucifixion of the flesh is painful, isn't it? As Jesus died on the cross, we talked about how painful and how bloody and, and, and the torment that he went through for that. But now, as we walk in that daily crucifixion of our flesh, he has crucified our flesh once and for all, but on the daily basis, we are now told to crucify our flesh, take it off and put on the righteousness of God that we have been made practically forever before the Lord righteous, but we have to walk in it now. And that can be a painful experience. That can be painful, can't it? <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> in which our old habits are still holding on to us. <laughs> The things that we uh, used to think still come to mind at times. We're like, I don't, I don't want to think about those things anymore. But they, they come up at very inopportune times. The things I used to talk about, sometimes they just bleh, come out still. 
and I hate it, but they come out. And I have to crucify that <laughs> through prayer and the reading of Scripture and through accountability and whatever we got to do, taking off that flesh and putting on God's righteousness. If it's not easy for you, take heart. You're in a very like-minded crowd. <laughs> it says in Galatians chapter 5, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires once and for all, but then it's a daily battle every day. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That's a command. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Lastly, there is a sign of the new covenant. If you have put your faith in Christ, there's a sign that we are to take that visible proof of the invisible relationship with God, and it's seen in baptism now. It's not the circumcision of the flesh. It's not the Sabbath day. It is now the baptism in which we are buried in Christ. It's shown and resurrected as he came out of the grave. And there's so many corresponding truths between um, the Old and the New Testament that way. That circumcision, as it says here, uh, God had told him, you're supposed to circumcise the eight-day-year-old. Eight days after the male son was born, you're to take him and have him dedicated and have him circumcised. And so we now have this sign of baptism. And, and, it, and it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're called to do. And Jesus said, when you come to know the Lord, when you put your faith in Christ, you've repented of your sin, you are born again, right? That's how he referred to it. You are a child in the faith. And so, as I said before, first comes the covenant. First comes the righteousness, and then comes the sign. And so the sign is given to those who are already in covenant. And in that covenant, we're given a sign that we as new babes in Christ, are circumcised of heart. That's what it's referring to because the circumcision of Jesus was all about his death and his resurrection, how flesh was crucified forever, killed forever, and now we are entering into the fullness of Jesus, into the grave and out again, now forever clean. So I encourage you, if you have not been baptized, come talk to me. It's the sign of the covenant. I, I really believe God sees it as important as he told Abraham that day. This is part of your salvation experience. I think it's wonderful, though, today, too, we get to think on the new covenant in Christ. And now we get to think about the blood that was poured out. We get to think about the body that was marred on our behalf. And we get to celebrate that. It is a joyous occasion that Christ would do such a thing for us. And that we get to enter into that death and resurrection and find eternal life in Him. But it's also a somber thing recognizing too that that should have been my blood. I should be suffering. I should be forever in torment. I should be under the wrath of God forever and ever because I have willfully 
rebelled against him. But because of God's amazing grace, because of the gift he's offered to each of us, we don't have to know that. We will never know wrath. We are no longer children of wrath, as Paul would say. But we are children of God. And we get to celebrate that today together.